Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. On our program today is Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard is one of the founding associates of the Ken Blanchard Companies, and you probably know him from the book he wrote called The One Minute Manager. The One Minute Manager has since been published 13 million times in several different languages, and since then he has written well over dozens of books that all relate to leadership and management. And it's great to have Ken on our program today. We're going to be talking about his newly revised edition of Leading at a Higher Level. Ken, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much, Jim. It's just a joy to be with you. Ken, our audience has known for some time that you were coming on the program. So we went out and we actually asked some of the people in the audience to send us some questions about what they're currently struggling with on the leadership side of things, since that was going to be our topic today. And so I thought we'd start out our program by asking you some of the questions that the audience has provided to us. Okay? Sure, that would be fascinating. Well, the first thing that we're getting feedback on is this, Ken. And as a leader of a company right now, everything seems to be open to examination, meaning there's plenty of reasons to look at every corner of your business and get it tuned up. So they're dealing with those pressures of having to look at everything. This program is being recorded at a time when annual budgets are pretty much in the can or being finalized, and so they're trying to look out into next year, but they don't have a reference point because they've never been in an economy like this. So the feeling we're getting back from leaders of companies is that they're a little overwhelmed at times. So what advice could you give the leaders of our companies who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed because of everything on their plate? Well, let me uh, suggest, Jim, uh, you know, the three quick things that I think they ought to take a look at. One is that they have to be uh, bearers of hope. Uh, I think they got to not turn their back on the truth of the present reality, but what can they do to say to their people, I know we're going to get through this. we got to hang in together. You know, we can do this. I, I... My title is I'm the chief spiritual officer of our company, and every morning I leave a morning message, and the main goal is to just, to, just to pump them up and say, you know, hey, we can do it, you know, and, and here's our values, here's what we're trying to do. And uh, so they got to be bearers of hope. If, if you're really down, then everybody else is going to be down, and so uh, you got to, you know, pump people up. The second thing, which will relieve a lot of your overwhelmness, is you got to treat your people as your business partners. One of the important chapters in leading at a higher level is about, you know, the importance of empowering your people. And what that really means is to make your people your business partner. My wife and I, when we started our company, we had a belief that if we had problems, we wanted everybody to be losing sleep. And so when we had our greatest year last year in, in 2008, 
but it was going downhill in November and December, and then, of course, it hit the toilet in, in January. And we, uh, in February, like we do once a quarter, we shared everybody the balance sheet. We told them where we were with our bank loans and all those kind of things. We even had brought a guy in at one time to train everybody, including people in shipping, on how to read a balance sheet. So everybody knew what the situation was <coughs> and uh, <coughs> what we were going to have to do in terms of cutting costs and increasing um, things. And, and what happens is then they become your partners. And when we started to uh, get suggestions, we had a celebration for our 30th anniversary. It was supposed to be a two-day party, but we took a day and brought in a group to, to lead 350 people in small groups through a process to say, how can we contain costs? How can we increase revenue? And I want people that we ought to take salary cuts. We ought to do this and all. And I tell you, Jim, we have cut almost $6 million of expenses out without getting rid of anybody. Uh, and why? Because they're all partners with us. So that's the, that's the, the uh, second thing. The third thing, which uh, we can ask better questions, but I'll just say, you've got to be a servant leader. You've got to set the vision and values and direction for the people, but they got to know that once that happens, you're turning that pyramid upside down, and you work for them. You're doing everything to help them, uh, help them win. So, be bearers of hope. Uh, you gotta treat your people as your business partners, and you have to be a servant leader, not a self-serving leader. And we're going to talk about that because that's two things I picked out of your book. One was the partnership thing, and I want to get to that question in a second. And the other one is the servant leader and, and how you explain that. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be in our program today, those questions. The other thing that comes on board is the fact that given what we've been through, there seems to be a lot of downsizing that's gone on. And the people that are left over are overwhelmed because of the amount of work that needs to get done. And, and actually, I went to your book, and it's it's interesting that you refer to this book as a reference manual. In other words, yeah. it's sectioned out that people can actually go and look at different parts of the book depending on what they're dealing with. Yeah, see, the, the leading at a higher level, Jim, is helping people accomplish worthwhile goals. And I underline worthwhile. Because making profit is not a worthwhile goal. It's an outcome of helping people uh, see a bigger picture goal, how we're going to help these customers how we're going to make a difference in their lives. So, so helping people accomplish worthwhile goals while taking into consideration the concerns and needs of all involved. And, and so it's really about both results and people. And there's well, four things that we focus on that they can determine whether they ought to spend time. One is having the right target because leadership's about going somewhere. And then the second chapter is treating your customers right. The third chapter is treating your people right, and the last one is having the right kind of leadership, which we think is servant leadership. And so, uh, that's uh, so. Those are the areas. You know, how you doing with your customers? How you doing with your people? Does people know where you're going? And do you have your your head uh, screwed on right so you're the the kind of leader that really motivates people? Well, Ken, if I hear you correctly, are you saying that the initial focus is not on profits? Well, the focus is not on profits as, as the only reason for being. See, I think profit is the applause you get for taking care of your customers, creating a motivating environment for your people, and being a good citizen in your environment. 
and uh, that uh, profit will come out of that. But you get some of this driven by Wall Street and all that, that they act like the only reason we're in business is to make money. And then people forget about their customers. They forget about their people. And you have short-term leaders who are mainly concerned about their bonuses and, you know, what's good for them and all, and, you know, what's going to get the numbers right now. And I'm really interested, Jim, in creating fortunate 500 companies. You know, you probably know what a Fortune 500 company is. It's, it's really about volume of sales and that kind of thing. And we're saying, no, there's more than this that. If you have good, good relationships with your customers, your people, and all of those uh, kind of things. In your book, early on, about the effects of downsizing, and that's one of the questions that our audience had is, how do you handle the fact that employees feel under pressure because they're doing more with less? And actually, I'm going to read from your book just for a second. It's on page 7, because I took that question. I went to your book to look at what maybe your advice would be, and I found this interesting. You say, downsizing can be an energy drain and by no means the only way to manage cost. There's a growing realization that another effective way to manage cost is to make all your people your business partners. Now, you referred to having partners in your company, and you referred to the fact that you were able to cut $6 million in cost by having partners. But I'm thinking today, people in the audience are going, well, that's great, but how do you make the leap from the traditional hierarchy that the way companies are structured and the way they look at the bottom line to then bring everybody into the fold as partners. How do you take at least the one step in the right direction to start heading that way? Well, the, the, the first step is really sharing information with people, you know, so they're all on the same wavelength. One of the big problems that puts pressure on managers, they're all behind closed doors trying to figure it out all by themselves, and they're not, not sharing information. People cannot make good decisions to cut costs and to do things if they don't have information. And uh, one of the examples in the book that you get a kick out of, I'm sure, is uh, we were working with this restaurant uh, guy, owned a whole bunch of restaurants, and, man, he wasn't about to share information with anybody. Uh, And uh, so one night we went into his biggest restaurant uh, after the customers were gone, and we got all the employees into... uh, uh, you know, out in the tables in the, out in the, uh, the out in the uh, uh, restaurant, and we asked them uh, to, to in their groups to come up with uh, of every sales dollar that comes into this restaurant, what goes uh, uh, falls to the bottom line that can either be shared with the, the owners or put back in the business, and the least anybody gained uh, guess was forty cents. A couple of groups guessed. 70 cents, you know, and if you know anything about the restaurant business, if you can keep a nickel, you're really excited. If you can, uh, you know, 10 cents, you think, you know, you've gone to heaven. And uh, and the head chef all of a sudden said, let me get this right. If we buy a steak for $6, sell, sell it for $20, and our profit is 5%, which is a buck, if I burn a $6 steak, it's gonna, we're going to have to sell six steaks for no profit to make up for my wastage. I mean, he already had this thing figured out. And uh, But if people think this is a money machine and you owners are ripping everything off, you know, why do they care about labor costs or food costs or any of those kinds of things? You see what I'm saying? It's just so powerful. 
And yet we have a lot of people who are fearful of sharing financial information. Why do you think that is? Well, I think they, you know, worry about, you know, Wall Street and they worry about, you know, what are these people going to think, you know, and all that kind of thing, because I think they're more focused on what's in it for me rather than saying it's going to be more for me and everybody if everybody is, is business partners there. And it's just that, that fear thing, you know, and, and uh, uh, one of the things that we talk about in the, in the book on having the right leadership is we, we have an Egos Anonymous uh, uh, meetings that we uh, get where people get a chance to say, hi, I'm Ken, I'm an egomaniac. And, and the, where the ego comes in to is either self-doubt or fear, which is a, a big thing out there, or false pride when you start thinking you're better than everybody else. And uh, so uh, we try to really get at that because it's the egos that goof up leadership and goof up organizations in incredible ways. So, Ken, uh, thanks for addressing some of the questions that our audience had. And we're talking with Ken Blanchard. His book, Leading at a Higher Level, has just been revised and released. And, Ken, you've added a couple chapters to this book. So people that are familiar with it, what's the revision? What are the two chapters you added? Well, we added one on how do you create and change a culture? Because, you know, culture is so important. It's about, you know, the way we do things around here and, it's, uh, it's about the values and all. We've spent a lot of time in that area. And then the other area that really has gotten to really be popular is the whole coaching uh, area. You know, uh, we have a whole uh, group working with us that, that uh, is called Coaching.com. And, and uh, they are executive coaches and they'll work with, with people on, you know, if you want to accomplish this goal, what does it take? Uh, they'll also work with people after training and say, what did you get out of that? And what are you going to do uh, differently because of that? And uh, so uh, those are really two important things. And then we've added some uh, additional stuff in the, on the chapter on uh, customer service, uh, which is such an important uh, area. We had Patrick Zagarmi from your company on our program earlier this year, and she was talking to him about the book she co-authored, called Who Killed Change, and you talk about change in this book, leading at a higher level, but you also talk about transformation and transformation of a company. For our audience, would you differentiate, please, the difference between change and transformation? Well, it's it's just a definitional thing. Uh, Change, uh, what we're talking about there is that you want to put in a new initiative. You want to, uh, you know, change your performance review system, you want to do something, how do you go about the transformation has to do more about how do we change the culture, how do we change the big picture of the way we do things uh, around here. So uh, transformation is, is the big picture uh, thing, and it's, uh, that's the that's a ultimate change, you know, uh, where you uh, really do that. We uh, did some work with Tyco, you know, and here's the president's in jail, and they brought in a whole new management team to turn that whole thing around and that that's real transformation uh there because it's one of the few companies that was in all that uh that bad stuff like enron and all that didn't go out of business because uh you know they uh they made major changes in the leadership and brought in a group that just transformed that uh, organization in an amazing uh amazing uh, way that uh, was i was just over uh in um 
in Budapest at a big meeting of, of Siemens, and Siemens had some problems around some ethical issues that were called on on them, and, and the whole meeting was about how they're transforming their company uh, so that they are really being run by values that everybody knows. Th- those are big-picture changes. So, Ken, are the mechanics or the tools you would use to instigate change, like a change in procedure or how you're going to do something, are they the same instruments you would use in terms of getting the transformation going? Well, I think the, the concepts are very similar, uh, but the, uh, the, the thing in transformation is you need a big-picture vision, you know, a compelling vision that says, you know, what business we're in, uh, where are we going, you know, the picture of the future, what are the values we're going to drive our thing, and you've got to get that really thing. When you're doing a, uh, a regular change, the big thing you're talking about is what is the business case for this, you know? Uh, why are we changing the performance review system? Why are we changing uh, uh, this? The other is, you know, it's, it's such more of a, of a, a big, bigger picture change. Okay. So almost having the vision of where you want to go and then leading everybody towards that vision. We're talking with Ken Blanchard in his revised and expanded edition of Leading at a Higher Level. And, Ken, in your book, you talk about servient leaders, but servient is really a acronym for something else. So for our audience's sake, give us what servient leaders means to you. What does the acronym servient stand for? Well, the acronym that we use in the book uh, comes from a book I wrote with Mark Miller, who's the head of training for Chick-fil-A, and they're a pretty amazing company. they got 1,400 restaurants around the country have less than 2% turnover in their restaurant managers, about 75 to 100% less turnover at the hourly than anybody in the, in the quick service uh, uh, food business. And uh, they train everybody uh, in, the, in the serve model. They say, what do great leaders do? They serve. And S stands for <coughs> see and shape the future, you know, because there's two parts of servant leadership. One is you people got to know where you're headed you know, what were you trying to accomplish? Uh, and that's the leadership part of servant leadership, and that's uh, what the, the S stands for, you know, see and shape the future. E stands for engage and equip people. And now once people know where you're going, what you're trying to accomplish, you turn the, the uh, traditional pyramid philosophically upside down, and now you really work for them. You know, this is the servant part of servant leadership. Uh, and uh, you, how do you engage them, how do you empower them, how do you develop them, then R stands for reinvent continuously. What they're talking about is reinvent yourself. You know, they, everybody has a personal growth uh, goal uh, every year. What, what are you going to be able to put in your resume next year that you didn't have on this one, like maybe learning Spanish or learning some new computer program? Uh, and reinvent the policies and the procedures and sometimes even the structure. So you constantly want to look at what you're doing to see how can we do it better to serve our customers. V stands for valuing both people and results, which we talked about uh, earlier. And then finally, E is, is to uh, embody the values, to walk the talk. Uh, and uh, it's a really powerful, very simple acronym that says what it really is like to be a, you know, a servant leader. One other thing that stood out in the book for me, Ken, and you can share with our audience, because I think your company invented this, and that was the uh, the situational leadership model. 
and tell me what how people, if they were to get your book, would use that situational leadership model. What function does it help them with? Well, situational leadership is a concept that I worked on back in the 60s with Paul Hersey, and then uh, when we started our own company and all, we did a lot of research and kind of revised it, and we call it situational leadership too. But the concept basically says there's no one best leadership style. It all depends on the individual or the group that you're working uh, with, uh, and uh, that people are at different levels of development depending on their competency to do a, some, a task or a goal and their uh, commitment, their motivation, and their confidence. So, for example, uh, at the two extremes of development level, one is an enthusiastic beginner, you know. So I, I uh, a few years ago, decided I'd better learn something about the computer because <laughs> I had avoided that. Uh, for a long time, and uh, my kids that work with us said, "No, Dad, you got to, you know, be able to get on the computer and do some stuff." So I was an enthusiastic beginner, uh, and with an enthusiastic beginner, I'm, you know, really motivated, but I don't know what I'm doing. You don't want to use a participative leadership style. Well, Ken, how do you think we ought to turn the computer on? You know, I mean, I don't know. You want me to put the plug in my ear? You know, and so, uh, you know, we hired somebody to work with the the, uh, we call them, uh, uh, you know, computer or technology immigrants. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I'll say, Ken, okay, we're going to work computer. Get out your yellow pad. I want you to take notes. You know, here's the way you turn the computer. You need direction initially. Now, the ultimate uh, development level is when you're a self-directed achiever, which is now you know how to do it, you're committed to do it and all. And you can get delegated to there. But what often happens to people is they'll give somebody a task, and the person got no experience to do it, and then they disappear to a delegating leadership style, and then they get upset <clears throat> when somebody doesn't perform well, and then they come back in and start to yell at them. We call it seagull management. They're not around until you make a mistake. And then they fly in, make a lot of noise, dump on everybody, and fly out. And what situational leadership does is it shows people how to use different strokes for different folks on different parts of their job so over time you can move your leadership style from directing to coaching to supporting to delegating, and they'll move from enthusiast to beginner through any kind of disillusionment they might have uh, to uh, capable and cautious to self-directed achievers. So it's really fabulous, and we use that in relation to self-leadership, one-on-one leadership. We also uh, have been able to use it in terms of helping people work with teams as well as organizations. So it's a really integrative concept. It's kind of common sense organized. Ken, I noticed in your book that it's really not a book by Ken Blanchard, even though your footprint is on it. You've collaborated with a lot of people, and I've noticed that this is just not a book that you wrote in the last year, even though it's been revised here this year. So kind of explain to our audience your philosophy of collaboration in working together with people to produce something that may be bigger than what you can do by yourself. Yes, well, what uh, Jim's talking about is there's really 20 authors on this book because people for a long time, Jim, were asking us, what's the Blanchard curriculum, you know? How do we know what's the total uh, way that you can help us as an organization run a better human organization? And so uh, we started our company in 1979. We just celebrated this year our 30th anniversary. We've had a lot of people that have helped us build our content and build our 
the way we work. And so the authors are all people that helped us build different pieces of our uh, curriculum. And I just didn't feel that this was mine. It was really all of ours, including my son and my wife. And we have a group we call the Founding Associates, six people who have been with us for over 30 years who were either doctoral students or professors with me when I was at the University of Massachusetts. And so uh, it really is an accumulation of what we have been doing. And so our salespeople and all, when they first talk to the country, they company, they say, you know, here's where we're going. There's even a little instrument, Jim, in the first chapter that you can fill out to determine whether it's the right target that's your issue, whether it's treating your customers your issue, uh, people or the right leadership uh, style, and, and, you know, where should you begin, because you might not want to begin at the beginning, although if you're trying to transform an organization, you probably ought to begin at the beginning and work through it and see where you need to go. We're talking with Ken Blanchard, his book, Leading at a Higher Level. And, Ken, once again, a very good book. It's broken out into three distinct sections. The first section is, you know, setting your sights and visions of where you want to be. The second one talks about treating your customers right. And the third is how to treat your people right. So I want to tell our audience, depending on what stage you feel you're at in your business in terms of where you need to focus and what you need to take a look at, because I know there's been a lot of areas people can put their focus, just can't do everything at once. This would be the one book I would get to use as a reference manual when you get to that section in your company where you have to do something, you go back to the book and say, oh, here might be some good ideas and how to put that into my company and actually make it work. So, Ken, congratulations on that. And, and my last question is, is there one question today that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you related to our topic? Well, I think that uh, probably the question people say is, you know, Ken, what, what's the big advice that you'd want to uh, give people? If they only got one thing out of this book, what would, would they get? And it really gets at the fourth part that you didn't mention there, Jim, which is you got to have the right kind of leadership, because I am more and more convinced that uh, making a great organization is about leadership. Leadership at the top, but it's how you develop leadership throughout. But the big thing I'd like people to get is that being a great leader is not about you. You know, it's not all about you. So don't go looking in the mirror and pounding yourself in the chest when things go well. When things go well, as Jim Collins says, you know, in good to great, you got to look out the window and give everybody else the credit. When things go poorly, now look in the mirror and say, what could I have done differently that would have made these people uh, that I'm working with even better than, than they are? And, uh, and realize that you are really uh, dependent on them. Leadership is effective leadership. Gets the permission of your people that you want to lead for you to lead them. And uh, you can force them and use position power, and it might work for the long run. But people will quit and stay and, and leave and do all kinds of other things. Uh, so I think that leadership piece, about uh, it's really about your customers, it's about your people, it's about all the people that can be involved as your business partners. Ken, thanks for being on the program. Well, thank you so much, Jim. It's a, it's a real joy, and I, I hope people can get something out of that uh, book. And it will also... Uh, push you into uh, all the little one-minute manager kind of parable books if you want to go into a little depth or share something with somebody else. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website 
at www.biztalkradioshow.com. Or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509. Or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net. 